Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Okay, let's read um, verses 22 through 45 quickly, and then we will go, we got to get through all, all the way through to the end of chapter 12 today, so we got to move fast. Everybody ready? All right. 22. And with the arms of the flood shall they be overflown from before him and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant, and after the league made with him... He shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province, and he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches, yea, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. And he shall stir up the power of his courage against the king of the south, with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a great, with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall forecast devices against him. Yea, they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him, and his army shall overflow, and many shall fall down slain. And both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper." For yet the end shall be at the time appointed. Then shall he return into his land with great riches, and his heart shall be against the holy covenant, and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. At the time appointed he shall return and come toward the south, but it shall not be as the former or as the latter. For the ships of Shittim shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenant. So shall he do... He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. Verse 31. An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame and by captivity and by spoil many days. Now when many, excuse me, now when they shall fall, 
they shall be holpen with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. And some of them, some of them of understanding shall fall and try them and, and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any uh, God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate... He shall honor the God of forces and, uh, and, and, a God, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the, in, in the, most, stronghold, in the most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. He shall cause them to rule over many. He shall divide the land for gain and at the time of the end shall the king of the south push push at him and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over he shall enter also into the glorious land and many country, uh, countries shall be overthrown but these shall escape out of his hand even Edom and Moab and the chief children of Ammon verse 42 and he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt and of the Libyans and Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make, uh, um, to take, utterly to make away many." And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. That's what's coming. And um, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, we won't. We'll be gone. <laughs> so praise the Lord. We'll be, we'll be uh, raptured away before this type stuff takes place. All right, back to verse 22. We're going to go as quick as we can. Uh, I hope to leave you with answers and not questions, but I'm certain I won't address everything in your mind when it comes to this. Just like I'm sure last night probably answered every question you had about everything we went through. <laughs> or probably not. <laughs> All right, verse 22. And with the arms of a flood uh, shall they be overflown from before him, and he shall be broken Yea, also the prince of the covenant. So the situation in this passage appears to be used to bring in the covenant between Israel and the Antichrist. That doesn't say for sure what this covenant is, but from here we, 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 we discuss repeatedly, or the Bible tells us repeatedly about a covenant. Uh, sometimes it's called a holy covenant. There, there are numerous ideas as to what this covenant might be. It could be the covenant made between the Antichrist and Israel, which is where my mind goes. Um, sometimes it mentions the Holy Covenant. So some people, are, uh, they say that what that is, is our, our covenants made between Israel and God. And so the Antichrist is going against those covenants or fighting against those covenants. Um, I just tend to leave it between anti the Antichrist and Israel, though 
It doesn't say specifically which covenant it's talking about. Now, why would, a, why would it be called a holy covenant if it's between the Antichrist and Israel? Well, it's the only way they can get back in the temple and start worshiping God again. And so I don't think the suggestion necessarily is that the covenant itself is holy, but it allows them to get back to worshiping their God according to the law of Moses. And, and of course, we know that it's going to be used against them. It's going to be, it's going to be broken and, and eventually turned on its head. Um, it's not, again, it's not clear what's mentioned in the passage, but we do see the, that this leads to a covenant. Um, Daniel 11, verses 28 through 32, talk repeatedly about these covenants or, or uh, this covenant individually. Um, it's repeated several times and it's used uh, to allow the sacrifices to start again, until it, obviously until it is broken. But if you want to see how God characterizes this covenant uh, in, in another passage, look at Isaiah 28 real fast. We're going to move all over the Bible tonight. A lot in Revelation so you might want to hold your place somewhere around Revelation 13, because we're going to be there a lot. We'll be in Matthew 24 a few times. So whatever will help you, because we've got to move fast. Isaiah 28, and look at verse 15. Uh, because ye have said, we have made a covenant with what? <laughs> death. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. That sounds exciting. Uh, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and, and with hell... And are, are we at agreement when the overflowing scourge shall pass through? Now, does that sound familiar? It shall overflow. That's repeated multiple times in Daniel 11. And so um, uh, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge. And under falsehood, we have hid ourselves. All right. And so this, this we don't have time to go get the full context of Isaiah 28, but it is directly related to what we're talking about back in Daniel 11. Now look at verse 23. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully. Now, we just talked about the covenant. Then we get to verse 23. Now there's a league being made with him. Uh, shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. All right, now, this league, today we call them treaties. or, or uh, when, when you hear somebody talking about a league, it's, it's usually a group of nations that have joined together for some for some cause, he begins making leagues across the world. Now, it's not, again, it's not as clear as I would like if he's talking specifically about between him and the covenant between him and Israel. Because it says that if you look back at the past verse, yea, also the prince of the covenant, verse 23, and after the league made. So it almost indicates that this covenant is a league that he made with Israel to allow them to get back in the temple and to begin uh, serving their God again. But Again, it's just, I, I can't be dogmatic about it. Uh, a lot of people tend to think this league is more widespread because he begins, um, he begins recruiting other countries and bringing in other countries under his banner and, and, and begins um, his wars become a little more widespread. And so, so it may be a league of that sort. It's just, it's just hard to be definitive about it. He has the ability to bring the world together, but it's done through deceit, flattery, and peace. So whatever he's using to make this league, he, he's doing it deceitfully. He is deliberately lying to people. He has given them a false impression of peace. He is using flattery. He's doing everything he can to, oh, you, you, you're just so wonderful. Why don't you come join us? What, what do you need? Whatever you want. I have riches. I have power. I can provide you peace. I will send you food. I will send you 
you know, minerals, whatever it is you need, whatever technology you need, whatever it is we have, I'll, I'll make it yours. You just, you join up with us. And, and through flattery, through blowing money, he doesn't care. Whatever it takes, he enters into these, these covenants and leagues with various people. Now verse 24, he shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province. And he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches, yea, and, and shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. So the Antichrist takes over a kingdom peaceably. Remember, they didn't want to give him the kingdom. That, as he begins his rise, as we read verse, several verses back last night, and I think it's in verse what, 21. Um, yeah, they, 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 they didn't want to give him the kingdom. They were not interested in him having the kingdom. But he takes it through flatteries and he takes it through peace. And so the Antichrist takes over a kingdom peaceably that raised large amounts of taxes. Then the Antichrist takes that money and redistributes the wealth to people who are loyal to him. Or people he hopes to win over with with flatteries and with peace. This is socialism and communism 101. Um, The problem problem with dealing with socialist and communistic countries, they believe they should redistribute their wealth. But when they do that, they believe that your work, your energy, your loyalty, it all belongs to them. If, If they're giving you part of their wealth, then they believe that you are required to be loyal to them. Um, now, you know, politics is a, is a funny game and it's not one that I ever, I I could ever be involved in. Uh, I, I don't have the ability to sit at a table and lie. (laughs) That's basically all they're doing. Uh, sure. We, we, you know, we want to give you this money and all we want is, is just to see your country prosper. No, you don't. You want, next time you have a vote in the United Nations, next time you have a vote at the G8, next time you have a contract that that passes through your country, you're requiring them to do what you want. Nobody just gives your country billions of dollars for no reason. It's just not going to happen. They make it sound like that's what they're, we just, we love Uganda. So I think America gives Uganda like between one and three billion dollars a year. And you think they don't have expectations for that? Should they? I mean, if I'm giving you a billion dollars, what I want to know is, what am I getting out of this? <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the problem. They know that developing countries need this money, and they know that if they give this money, they can buy those countries to do whatever it is they need. Uganda has minerals. Africa has incredible resources and minerals. And so those countries are up for grabs by, by international powers who have the money to buy them. Because they want the gold. They want the precious metals. They want whatever it is that goes. Some of the metals in a smartphone, you can only get them from Congo. There is nowhere else in the world to get them. So how do you, what kind of position do you think that puts Congo in? <laughs> Everybody suddenly loves Congo, but for all the wrong reasons. And, and then you have, the, and, and they know they can corrupt men in Congo 
who will give them those precious metals. And those men, they are from Congo. They own those, the land. They own the mines. They will abuse their own people to get those minerals so they can get it to China or get it to America or get it to Europe or whoever wants to buy it. They don't care who dies, who gets hurt. They're making billions of dollars. That's, how, that's, that's politics. Everybody wants, a, everybody wants, I don't know why, everybody wants a, an electric car now. Why? That, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. We're going to save the earth by making electric cars. Yeah, what are you going to do with the batteries? Well, we don't have anything to do with the batteries. So you're just going to throw them in the earth? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, just, that's more toxic than, than mining for oil. It just, it, it makes no Drilling for oil makes no sense. So it's, it's all a joke, but here we go again. In, in order to make the parts for solar panels, for batteries, for all, all, all this, uh, all this you know, off-the-grid electric equipment that you need, you can, only get it, you can only get the materials from Africa. And so everybody's fighting to come back into Africa. Remember, remember Europe said, oh, we're going to give the African nations their, 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 their independence. Well, now they're all like, we need to get back into Africa because they, they have all these minerals that we need. And China owns like 85% of the ports in Africa. So what are we going to do? That gives China an unfair advantage in this international battle over technology. And it puts Africa right at the center of it all because you're the only ones, or Africa in general is the only place that has these minerals. There might be a few other places that have it on a small scale, but not, not at the, in the capacities to do in Africa. And so it becomes a, a political game of who can sway who with money. That's what the, the Antichrist knows exactly how to do that. He's got all these riches. He's brought in all this money. He's winning all these wars. Then he begins going to other countries saying, what do you need? And we've talked about it before. This is what China is doing to third world nations all around the world. They go to them and they say, oh, you need infrastructure. Let us give you a loan to help you. Well, what they're saying is, as soon as you sign that dotted line, we own you. They're doing it all over Africa. They're doing it all over South America. They're doing it all over the world. And, they, and, and the world knows they're doing it deliberately. Now what Europe and America do is get, they give loans to these countries to get out of their loans with China. <laughs> it's, it's a twisted game. All right? and so, but America is doing it because they love you and just want your friendship. And Yeah. Yeah. If you believe that, I have some oceanfront property in Uganda to sell you. <laughs> it's right on the ocean. <laughs> uh, of course. So now he is willing to spread the wealth if it will help sure up the spread of his kingdom. Now, this is what I find fascinating about this. The, as powerful as the Antichrist is, he still has to use some form of diplomacy and, and, and he has to use wars to gain in power. He's not able to just walk in and take what he wants. Now he's going to do very well. There's going to be very little to stop him until Jesus Christ comes back. But these constant battles and this constant negotiation, that there's this constant back and forth, very similar to the way things are today. Are you aligned with China and Russia? Or are you aligned with America and Europe? Who, who are you with? You know, and and that, that's what's taking place. But the, the center of it all is Israel. That's the central focus of all this. Help me find them. Where are they? I know that remnant is hiding. Where are they? 
And he's, he's invading countries, he's fighting wars, he's paying off other countries to join his, his league and, and, and become a part of what he's doing, and he's doing everything he can to, to increase in power. Verse 25, And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall forecast devices against him. So, if he's... So peaceful. Why does he have a great army? And how come the other political leaders are not asking that question? <laughs> oh, you, you came to negotiate peace with a million-man army? <laughs> like, I don't understand. <laughs> Can you help me? What, what is this all about? Well, if you don't join our peace, then I'm going to cut this army, army loose on you. <laughs> and so it, it's... It, it's all a ploy. It's all a game. Uh, he may receive certain loyalties due to the distribution of wealth. That's going to be the easy part. How, how many broke countries would, would say, I am loyal. I'll do whatever you want. Just keep sending that money this way. Well, the, the Antichrist is going to do that. He's going to go to these countries. He's going to say, how much money do you need? What do you need? I, I'll give it to you. Here you go. Take it. But I just bought you. Your loyalty is to me. Whatever I want, when I want it, how I want it. Nobody gives you anything for free. If they do, you just, if you don't know them and you don't know what their motivations are, something could be up. Just be very careful. When somebody starts telling me what they want to give me, I start looking at them like, yeah, okay. What is this buying? No, it's just for you. Right. Um, Well, you know, I, I hope that's true, but I want to get to the bottom of it before I say, sure. Hand it over. And then in the end, find out what I just did was sell myself and my family into something that I didn't expect to be into. It's very rare that people just want to give you something for free. and, And in fact, your president wrote a book called The Problem with Africa. And that's what it's all about is financial aid coming into Africa and how it's been detrimental to Africa. Of course, now he receives aid from all over the world. But he, he was originally against that stuff. And he saw that nobody gives you aid unless they want something. Nobody gives any country. You, you, you don't see anybody, anybody lining up to say, you know, you, you have Americans who are having drug problems. We just want to give you money to help you with that. No, they come to America and say, what are you going to give me? And then America says, oh, we, we have some money to give you. We'll be happy to help your country. What are you going to give us? <laughs> and and that, that's, this is the game they're playing. They, then they go meet at a table. Let me give you my line, then you can give me your line, then I'll give you my line, then we can just keep lying back and forth and then sign the dotted line and see how it works out in the end. <laughs> it's all a bunch of lies. And so somebody comes to Uganda and says, we want to give you a billion dollars. Run. Just you take it if you want to, but you better expect it's coming with some strings attached. That's, that's, how it, that's how it happens. They know you need the money and it would be helpful, but then I, nobody's going to just give you money for nothing. If America ever comes to Uganda and says, we're spreading democracy, run. It's not going to go well. The last two countries we spread, spread democracy in were Iraq and Afghanistan. How are they doing? 
All right, so we're going to spread democracy as code word for we're going to bomb your country for about 15 years. <laughs> and then we'll leave. And so you just, you, you, nobody gives you something for free. All right, now, when, when, we're, when we're dealing with God's people who have a heart for things like missions, who have a heart for spreading the word of God, even them, their motivation for giving is to spread the word of God. Their assumption is that if I give you this money, you're going to be faithful with it, with it to serve God. That's the strings that are, that, that, those are the strings that are attached. No, nobody gives me money to be a missionary here for nothing. They have an expectation of us and they, and they want to, they want monthly reports. So they want to know what's going on and how things are going. And if people are being saved and what we're doing and the direction we're heading and all that, they want to know what's going on. They're not just giving you money out of the kindness of their heart. They, they believe in their minds, if I give this money to this missionary, the work that he's going to do is going to add to my account in heaven. So I want to give it to him. All right, now that, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But when a government comes and says, oh, we just love Africa and want to help some African nations. No, they don't. They couldn't name five African nations. <laughs> like, do you, people, people in America ask us all the time, they say, I have a friend in South Africa. Do you know them? Do you know how far away South Africa is from Uganda? <laughs> it's not like we're next door to each other and, and bump into each other at, at, at the grocery store. Or they'll say, I have a friend who's a, uh, they, they, they live in Liberia. Do you know them? <laughs> Do you know where Liberia is compared to Uganda? Like, do you, do you, and so I, you know, trying to be nice, I asked them, do you realize that four of the United States of America, America can fit on the continent of Africa? And America is huge. Four of them can fit inside the entire continent of Africa. And you want to know if I know somebody 10 countries away? <laughs> so if a government shows up wanting to help you, you better pray for your president because it's coming with strings attached and he's going to have to weigh that in the balance. Nobody's just helping people for free. Uh, that, that's just not how it goes. Verse 26. Yea, they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him and his army shall overflow and many shall fall down slain. So the verse makes it seem that the Antichrist has made a league with certain groups within the kingdom of the south and they will assist him in overthrowing the king of the south. The number of people he is able to enlist on, on his side are so enormous that they overflow the armies of the South as they overrun their army. Now, this back and forth sometimes is difficult to follow, but it, what it looks like is he invaded the king, the king of the South again and made, didn't have to make it very far because he had enlisted the help of people within the king of the South or that kingdom, and they helped him to overthrow the king of the South. And so it, it, there was not much of a fight. There was not much resistance. Verse 27, and both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief. Well, that's a blessing. Now, I, I, I struggle to think, I hate to think that it could be a reality that every president, that every leader of every nation around the world just wants to do mischief. I, I don't think that's completely true. I think there are some who do, but I struggle with the idea that all of them do. But when you read about political powers in the Bible, there's not much good to say. 
Even, even the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel were just monsters and, and rarely did the right thing, almost always, and did evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord. It's rare that one of them did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. It's, it's unbelievably rare. It's even more rare to find a Gentile king or president or prime minister or whatever he is who wants to do right by God. They just don't exist. Again, throughout history, there have been a few, and praise God for them, but not many. Not many at all. The power and influence of the king of the north causes the king of the south to meet and discuss peace in the Middle East. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> let's meet at the table and let's talk. They're just going to sit and lie to each other. Now, unfortunately, as is so often the case, the two who sat at the table together were lying and, and, and they're only... Their, their intent was to cause mischief, not, not, to, not to resolve the issue. But at this point, the Antichrist has gained the upper hand and has the leverage over the king of the south. He's got the power, the, 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 the money. He's got the army, he's got the money, and he's got people within the kingdom of the king of the south who are working with him. He's made a league with all these other, all these other countries. Now, you remember, previously, the king of the south invaded, or the king of the north invaded the king of the south but historically, they say the king of the south made a league with Rome and the king of the north was like, uh, here's my daughter. That's, <laughs> you know, she's pretty. Let's, let's not fight anymore. And they made this treaty. Now, again, assuming that, assuming that all of this is historical, it looks like the same thing happened in reverse this time, except the king of the north has the power, the influence, the money, and the king of the south knows he's in trouble. And so he comes to the table and says, let's talk and begins to try to make a, a peace treaty with him. Um, but, but look at the verse again, verse 27. And both these kings hearts shall be to do mischief and they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper. For yet the end shall be at the time appointed. All right. Now, I, I, last night I, I complained often about how these kings keep going back and forth at each other and don't finish the job. It seems to be part of the prophecy. And the Lord says, this is just going to continue until the end. It's, they're going to go back and forth. It's going to be constant. That's why you're never going to have peace in the Middle East. Right now, Syria has been engaged in, in a civil war that has lasted since Obama. I don't even know how long ago that was anymore. <laughs> Feels like Obama was president 100 years ago <laughs> at this point. We've been through so much. Um, but since the days of, that Obama was president, there's been a constant battle and civil war in that country that has flowed over into Iraq and flowed over into Turkey and had, you know, other issues have, have, have taken place. Russia is there and, and assisting the president that, that's trying to maintain power and trying to restore that co uh, country under his own power. And as far as we know, he's, a, he's not a great president, not, not the kind of guy you'd want to be your president. Um, but what... Who's going to replace him? It's another one of those situations. Is it going to be better? Or is it going to be worse? You have no idea. Who, who, killed the, who killed the next president's family 20 years ago? And so who's he going to want to get revenge on when he becomes president? It, it, you know, one of the wonderful things about living in a country like America so far, and I pray to God it stays this way for as long as possible. When there's a change in power, nobody dies. 
That's amazing compared to a massive part of the world. In major parts of the world, all over the world, when there's a change of power, as soon as that man becomes president, he goes hunting down whoever it is, whoever his enemies were. All over the world. All right, now, Europe has experienced that for a long time, where, where they, there can be changes in power and, and nobody dies. Um, America, I mean, that, that has been constant throughout our history. It has never happened. What we're seeing right now for the first time ever, the, the current president is going after the former president. That has never happened before, ever, in, in, in the history of the United States of America. Everyone just resolved, if you lose, you come back next time. You don't go after your political opponents. It looks like that's being thrown out the door rapidly in our country. That has never been a part of our country. That's stuff that we see other countries do. We don't do that. Well, they're doing it now. That door has been opened. And, and I, I don't believe the next guy that comes in is going to say, well, I'm going to close that door. I hope he does. But once that door is open and, and you've wounded people, just like we talked about last night, you can't just, you can't treat people in the worst of ways, in unjust ways, and then just expect everything's going to be okay. They'll just forgive me. No, they're not. They're not. Their children are not. Their children's children are not. You're going to create this endless cycle of retribution. And it's going to increase and increase and increase until, until blood starts flowing. And we don't want that. But it, look, it seems unfortunate we're heading that way. Now, the end shall be at the time appointed. This is repeated throughout the book of Daniel. Look at Daniel 8, verse 19. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall be. Now, we don't know when that time is. Now, our general definition is, the time of the end is the end of the tribulation and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the, that line is, is the end. All right. Now, as we're going to see tonight, if we get to it, um, some things are going to continue that, that are part of all this. That might, they might continue a little bit after that, after the end of the tribulation. It doesn't mean that the trouble and the, and the, and the turmoil and all that's going to continue because the Lord is going to be restructuring the heaven and the earth. Judgment's going to be going on, new heavens, new earth, all, this, all these things are going to be taking place. And, and it seems that that's going, to take, that's going to go on for a short period of time, even after the tribulation. It's not going to be an instant thing. The Lord's just going to snap his fingers and it all happens. It looks like there's going to be a, a, a building period, if you will. All right, so look at Daniel 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name uh, was called Belteshazzar. And the, king, uh, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. So the time appointed is long. It's been, from that time till now, it's been about 3,000, 4,000 years. Right? So all of these things going on and, and many of the things that are happening to the, to the nation of Israel, it's going to continue. They still have one week of years left. To, to bring an end to their sin and their, their, their iniquity and, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. And that week hadn't even started yet. <laughs> it's on hold till the church is gone. 
All right, so, so it's, it, the time is going to be long. And then um, back to Daniel 11 in verse 35, it's repeated again. And some, of them, uh, and some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for um, the time appointed. So uh, the Lord, as he said in Matthew, these things are in the Father's hands. As he said in Acts chapter 1, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Just know it's going to take a long time and there is an end coming. The Lord knows when it is, how it's going to happen. You just need to trust the information he's given us. It's, it's, it's amazing because as Christians, what we want to know, we don't want to know the words written in the book. We want to know the things that God didn't say. Well, when is the end coming? <laughs> well, he didn't say when it was coming. He said, he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. What are the times or the seasons? He just said it's not for you to know that. Yeah, but I mean, can I have an idea, a hint? Can we, I mean, just a little bit of knowledge? No, it's not for you to know. Go tell people about Jesus. And so we don't focus on the things written, the clear words put in front of us. We want to know what are the mysteries? What is coming? What's, what, what's after this? Why don't you, you know, learn not to be a liar? <laughs> Get your temper under control. Be disciplined to do what you're supposed to do. I mean, some of the basic things that are part of the Christian life, let's get some of those things under control. And, and, then, and then maybe the Lord will show us some of these other things in the, in the end when it comes. All right, Daniel 11, verse 28. Then shall he return into his land with great riches, and his heart shall be against the holy covenant, and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. Now, after this meeting, the Antichrist returns home richer, and more emboldened. And how, I mean, how could you not? You, you invaded, the man gave in, came to the table, you sat at the table and just lied to him the whole time you were talking, and then you go home. Apparently something at that meeting made you richer, made you more powerful, and so you go home with, with an extra level of confidence and arrogance. We've already read several times that this covenant that was made um, but now he is returning home with a heightened level of arrogance. When he, returns, when he returns, his heart is now against the Holy Covenant. And we are getting closer to the point at which he will force the daily sacrifice to cease. Now we're going to see a progression from this verse on. He returned from this battle and for whatever reason. Now remember, assuming the king of the north is in Syria and assuming the king of the south is in Egypt... Where does, he, where does he have to march in, for battle? What does he have to pass through? Israel. So here we go again. He has to go through Israel. Israel's right back in the middle of these battles and these fights between the king of the north and the king of the south. But something happened. And when the Antichrist went home, now, he's, now his heart is turned against the Holy Covenant, which I presume to be the covenant he has made with Israel to allow them to be able to go and, 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 and sacrifice in the temple and to live and do according to the law of Moses. Um, look, at, look again at Daniel 8, and let's read verses 8 through 14. We'll see this, what's going to happen as this buildup gets worse. Verse 8, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. 
And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host of the stars to the ground, and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Look at uh, uh, verse 12. Let's keep going to verse 14. And an host was given him against the daily sacrifice. Now you see that. Now the word host, when you look it up, generally speaking in the Bible, it, it means a large group of people, like a large military. And, and what we're reading about here, when all this takes place, it's right around the time that Michael and, and, and uh, that old serpent, the devil, had their battle in heaven, and he draws a third of the stars with them. Here we read that, that a host is given him. So is this a, a host of fallen angels? Is it part of his military that he's already built up, that is part of the leagues that he's made and, and, and the riches he's used to build up his military? Whatever it is, he's got a large group of people following him back, and he suddenly has his heart turned against the Holy Covenant, and he's going to send that large group of people in there, and he's going to force the sacrifice to cease. He's going to make it stop. And he's, got, he's, he's been delivered. Look, back to verse 12. And in host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it cast down the truth to the ground. And it practiced and prospered. Um, verse 13. And I heard one saint speaking. And another saint said un, un, unto that certain uh, saint which, which spake. Man, that's a hard sentence to read. Every time I read it, I'm like that, 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 that. <laughs> How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of the desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, uh, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. All right, so the Antichrist uses this great host given him, which may come from the League of Nations he put together uh, through peace, flattery, deception, and riches. Or it may be part of the host of heaven that Lucifer brings down with him uh, after the battle between him and Michael. Um, and remember that this battle with Michael in heaven happens around the same time. It seems like it's just before the Antichrist goes in and, and sets up the abomination, abomination of desolation and forces the daily sacrifice to cease. So the timing matches which, whether, which, what host this is, I don't know. Um, a lot of people point out that the Roman Catholic Church, when they turn the wafer into the body, the body of Jesus for you to eat, <laughs> they call it a host. Um, it's interesting. I think it's damning on their part, but I don't think that's what this is talking about. There's no, there's no connection here. Um, I think this host is going to be a military, a group of people that the Antichrist is going to use to stop. You, I tell you what, you, you try to take an army right now into Jerusalem, go up to the, the, the Temple Mount, and you try to stop, stop the Arabs from, from worshiping Allah in the Dome of the Rock and see what happens. <laughs> it, it's going to turn ugly real fast. It'd be the same way if you took an army when Solomon's Temple was there, you went up there and you said, no, no more worshiping here. Those people aren't just going to say, oh, yes, sir, no problem. <laughs> it's going to turn ugly fast. So if your army is not big enough and strong enough to force it to cease, it's not, they're, they're not going to stop. And you think these people are going to get the temple back finally? And you're going to walk up there and tell them, all right, you're done. No more. You're going to worship me now. I don't think so. It's not going to go easy. 
Now, it will go easier if you've got a massive army that's been given to you and you can walk up there and say, try something. Now, I have no doubt some of them will. Some of them will probably fight back and, and, and fight to the death. And, and uh, you know, praise the Lord for those people. But um, he's going to go up there with a massive army and he's going to force them to stop. Now, it says he shall do exploits. When, when the Bible uses that term, it means they're doing something uh, courageous, honorable. Um, but for, for the, well, not necessarily honorable, but definitely something courageous. Like they are... Uh, what, what, what they have accomplished in battle or, or, or whatever it is they're doing, it's, it was something bold and courageous. Um, but, but when it comes to the Antichrist, look at Revelation 13. Hold your place in Daniel. And you might mark your spot in Revelation 13. You don't have to. I'm not going to. So I guess we'll turn there together, but it's up to you. Uh, we'll, we'll be back here several times. Revelation 13, verses 11 through 15. And I beheld another beast. Who's this other beast? Who knows? Anybody? The false prophet. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon, and he, ex- and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. All right, so you, we all know he's going to be... The Antichrist is going to be killed. He's going to die. And this false prophet is going to bring him back to life. And, and, and so I believe this is part of the exploits the Bible might be referring to. Verse 13, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Verse 14, And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had uh, power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image of the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had, and, uh, and he had power to give life uh, to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should, be, should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. All right, so this is going to be part of his exploits. Look at 2 Thessalonians. It... it, it um, we know that a lot of what the Antichrist does, he doesn't do in his own power. Uh, the, the, Daniel says that repeatedly about, about um, it said it about Alexander, it said it about uh, the Antichrist. It says that whatever he, he accomplishes, he doesn't do it in his own power. Now, whatever was behind Alexander, I trow not. <laughs> it would be a guess. But we know what's behind the Antichrist. It's Satan himself, it's the false prophet, and they are, they are causing the world to fall in love and to go after and to worship the Antichrist. Second uh, Thessalonians verses 7 through 9, verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity both already uh, doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he, he be taken uh, out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. That's a key detail. All these people who are are taken back by signs and wonders and miracles, they are going to be deceived in a moment of time when they see what the Antichrist, what the false prophet, and and what Satan are going to do in in the latter days. They, They stand no chance. Uh, and in fact, the Bible says the whole purpose 
of the Antichrist being able to do that is to fool you. It's to deceive you. It's to lead you away. So if you see somebody from now until the end of the tribulation working miracles, stay away. Because what we say is, well, it's not real, but a day is coming when it will be real. A day is coming when they will raise somebody from the dead and they will heal the sick and they will do all these things. And that, that is, they might say they do it in Jesus name. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. It, it, it's, it's somebody working, lying wonders. Not, not, it's nothing godly. And so you want to stay away from it. Back to Daniel 11, verse 29. 11.29. What time is it? All right. At the time appointed, he shall return and come toward the south. Uh, he, he shall come and come, come toward the south, but it shall not be as the former or as the latter. Now, after some time, he again goes after the armies of the south, but there is a difference in this attempt. The Bible doesn't clarify what that difference is. Uh, maybe he's using his ability to win people over. Maybe he's using peace. Maybe he's using flattery. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't say what, what he's doing this time that's different than last time, but he is going after that king again. Uh, rather than a, a head-on engagement, uh, he now has the upper hand. He no longer needs to confront them head-on as he did previously. Um, it mentions here again the time appointed uh, in which he shall return. This could be the beginning of the tribulation, or this could be when, the, when he returns to stop the sacrifice to break the covenant. It's not clear which one it is. I mean, that, the, there's three and a half years between the two, so it's a little hard to uh, say definitively. Um, it, 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 it could be more in line with the beginning of the tribulation because it's in verse 30 or 31 when he finally, uh, when it says he finally breaks the, the, stops the sacrifice, verse 31, and he sets up the abomination of desolation. Um, and, and, and again, setting out a timeline when it's not definitive, it's difficult to do. So that's only a suggestion. Um, there are other places in the Bible where the timeline is more clear. There are other places in Daniel where the timelines have been more clear. But in these passages, the timelines are just... It's like God decided not to give us one at all. You just... Here's what I want you to know. Learn it. Trust it. Believe it. But... Lord, but what, when is this? Yeah. At the time appointed. <laughs> okay, when is that? <laughs> and so, yeah, you just, you just believe it and move on. Verse 30. For the ships of Shittim shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and shall return and, give indig- and have indignation against the Holy Covenant. So we see it's progressing here. So shall he, he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. Now that he shall have intelligence with them that forsake. So somebody is feeding him information. Somebody is on the inside of whatever it is he is trying to accomplish and they're feeding him information. And since this is against the Holy Covenant, it's possible there are Jews assisting him, giving him information, which is very possible. Jews today are so secular and so uh, progressive-minded, not all, but, but on a large scale, it's, it's uh, frustrating. To, to, I mean, how, it's like, how, how could this possibly be that, that, that you could agree with these things and live this way? You're supposed to belong to God. 
and they want nothing to do with God. They're often very atheistic in their mindset. Um, they're very left-leaning, progressive in their mindset in many ways. Um, now, that doesn't mean that there are not still conservative Jews. It doesn't mean that there are not still very orthodox Jews who try and live in accord with the law of Moses as best they can in, the current, in their current conditions. They, they definitely exist. But large-scale, Israel is not doing great. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not good. Now, we still want to support them. We still want to pray for them. We want to be a blessing to them because if we are a blessing to them, God says that he will bless us. So uh, we do what we can to bless them and help them and point them to their God and, and assist them in any way that we can and, and see how it goes. Uh, while the Antichrist has been able to win over much of the world uh, and, and he formed leagues with other nations, he does still have enemies. Uh, this will be characteristic of the judgment of nations. Uh, maybe these people, and I'm talking about these ships from Shittim, uh, maybe they're defending Israel, or maybe they are simply defending their own territories and interests. It doesn't say. We just randomly have these ships from Shittim coming against the Antichrist. And it stirs them up, makes them angry. It grieves them. And, and not that we care. <laughs> uh, hopefully it grieves you till you have a heart attack. But um, he, it... it, it it further advances. There seems to be some connection to this attack and Israel because it, it causes him to have even more indignation against the Holy Covenant. So there, there seems to be some connection. It's just not clear what it is. Either way, the ships of Shittim come against the Antichrist, and it doesn't say whether they are successful or not. But the incident grieves the Antichrist and, and causes him to return home. The problem for Israel is that this incident encourages the Antichrist to further set his heart against the covenant. And that, that it's just the, the trouble is intensifying for Israel. All right. Now, the Bible does inform us here or, or there. The Bible does inform us there will be opposition to the Antichrist as he rises to power and tries to accomplish his agenda. And it's named and it's talked about in several places. Um, look real fast and... Uh, in Micah. Micah chapter 5. And we'll read real fast, verses 1 through 7. Uh, I'm going to talk about this a little bit. We're going to major just a little bit on verses 5 and 6, but I'm going to read through this quickly so we can keep moving. We're making decent time. I'd like to keep that up. Uh, Verse 1. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops, um, he hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now, uh, these verses we're reading right now, some of, some of which is prophetic about Jesus Christ and, and things that are going to happen to him. Verse 2, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, does that sound familiar? Everybody knows this verse. Thou, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that, that is to be... Uh, he, Unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from, from of old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that, that, is, uh, that, that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. Now, a couple, just a couple of things real fast. You, remember, I talk about how sometimes the Bible, you're reading a narrative but you may not realize unless you search it out that that narrative just jumped 
a thousand, two thousand years. Everybody see what just happened? We have the birth of Jesus Christ in, in verse two. And then verse three, you have she that travaileth. What is that a reference to? The tribulation. Israel in the tribulation. So it says he's giving them up until that time. All right, that's God's plan right now for Israel. Israel turned their back on God. God pled, pleaded, he pleaded with them. He begged them. He, he, he tried to get them to repent. They refused to repent. He said, fine, you're going into captivity. When you come back, you're under the rule of the Gentiles. I'm giving you up. I'm done with you. The last thing he said in Malachi was, you have the law of Moses. Do that. I have nothing else to say to you until Elias come. And then we know that, that later when Elias came, it was John the Baptist who came in the spirit and power of Elias. And, and, and the next thing God said to them was, your Messiah's here. Repent. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. And God said, okay, now it's final. Church age is starting. I have nothing to do with you until the church age is done. I'm giving you up until then. All right, then, then the church is raptured and immediately God comes back to Israel and he doesn't say, will you repent? He says, I'm going to finish your transgression. I'm bringing it to an end. I'm not waiting on you to repent any longer. We're not dealing with that anymore. I'm bringing it to an end. All right, so that means between verse 2 and verse 3, you've got like 4,000 years <laughs> till we get to the end of the tribulation. From the time, from the birth of Jesus Christ to the end of the tribulation. I mean, that's 2,000 years at a minimum. And we're hoping it'll only be 2,000 years, but who knows? <laughs> It's at the time appointed. That's when it is. <laughs> All right. So now verse four. And he shall stand uh, and feed in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall abide for now shall, shall he be great unto the, unto the ends of the earth. Verse five. And this man shall be the peace. Okay. Now, do you see a notable difference between Jesus Christ and the Antichrist? One is using peace. The Bible says here, when Jesus Christ comes, he is the peace. He's it. There's nothing outside of that. He is the peace. He's what you're looking for. He's what you want. All right? So, so he is the peace. Back, back to verse 5. When the Assyrian shall come. Now, now look at this. Is what I want you to see as we progress through this. When the Assyrian shall come into our land, and when he, what is that telling us? What is that indicating to us? It's a person. The Assyrian. We're talking about the Antichrist. He shall tread in our places. Does that sound familiar? How many times did Daniel say the Antichrist was going to tread on the temple on Israel, they'll be trodden underfoot. He's going to tread on them. He's going to stamp on them. He's going to stomp on them. Um, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. So praise the Lord, Israel's going to fight back. They, they are going to flee, which Jesus said, when you see that abomination of desolation, you better run. But at least in the first three and a half years, it looks like there is opposition. They are fighting him. They're pushing against him. 
They're doing everything they can to, to, to stay in the land and to, to worship according to the law of Moses. And so they're pushing back. And they have people that help them. They have people who fight with them. All right? And so you have all these things happening during the tribulation. But the Lord said, but <laughs> when you see the abomination of desolation st- standing in the holy place, flee. I don't know how much fighting they get to do after that. Now you better run. You better get out, get away. Don't plan, don't go back. Verse six, and they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod in, in the entrances thereof. Uh, thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian, from the Assyrian when he, when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth with our borders. Now, th- th- what Micah's talking about is at the latter end of the tribulation. So what it looks like is that towards the latter end of the tribulation, the Lord comes back, begins to put down their enemies, gets most of the work done, and then arms Israel and says, okay, go finish. <laughs> and, and they do it. They go and they finish the job. And there's something, to, there's something to God wanting to fight your battles for you, but then it, sometimes he only fights them so far, and then he turns to you and says, okay, I, I've, I've done the majority of the work. I want you to, to finish it. And you've got to be willing to step up and go and finish it with God's help. He's not saying I'm leaving you alone. He's saying I I have taken you as far as you need to go. I have prepared you and I'm with you. Now I want you to go finish it. And we're like, but can you just, I mean, you're pretty good at this. (laughs) Can you just finish it and and, uh, not involve me? No, no, you're going to finish it. Yes, sir. That's what Bethany says. Say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And she's agreeing, but she wants me to know that she doesn't agree while she agrees. Like, no, try it again. Yes, sir. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) And so now verse just real quick. I'll read through my notes regarding verse five and six. When the Assyrian shall come, we raise against him seven shepherds. Uh, This Assyrian is a person and Israel will oppose him. This is not a reference to Assyria, but a man. Now, it does say in this, again, in our thinking about who Daniel is talking about, the king of the south and the king of the north. uh, He tells us that the king of the south goes back into Egypt. So it seems the king of the south is from Egypt. But when the Lord sets them loose to go fight the Assyrian, where do they go destroy? We just read it. Nobody. Where? They go into Assyria. Look, look at it again. Look at, um, uh, where was it? Verse, where am I? I'm back in Daniel. Hold on. Hold on. Who's, who's got it still there? Who's still in Micah? Somebody read verse, I think it's verse 4. This is cool. He shall stand and feed the strength of the Lord. Oh, no, it's further down. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 6. Yeah. Yeah, just. So they're going to waste the land of Assyria. They're also going to go after the land of Nimrod. Who remembers where that was? Where that was? We talked about that. This was last semester, early on. We talked about Nimrod and Babylon and where? What? What city that Nimrod found? Huh? Babel. Yeah. 
So there is some relationship to Nineveh, but, but Babel is what we're, what we're talking about. Because we, talk, we talked about that in Jonah also. You're, you're with me so much when I'm teaching that it's all, it does the same thing to me. I was teaching Jonah in one place, teaching Daniel here, and it's like, wait, it's all like merging together. <laughs> and so I don't remember which one is which. And so, uh, yeah, so, so, so when the Lord, the point is when the Lord sets them loose and says, go, go destroy the Assyrian, they went to Assyria, which again points us to the king of the north possibly being Syria. And the Antichrist rising out of Syria. He's called the Assyrian. Uh, when they go to destroy him, they go to Assyria. So it, it just, it all seems to fit. It makes sense. But that's my opinion. So take it for what it's worth. Uh, verse 6. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land. Following the second advent, Jesus Christ, uh, of Jesus Christ, he will immediately destroy the armies that are marching on Jerusalem. And that's what we read about in the latter chapters of Zechariah uh, 12 through 14. Um, he'll destroy those armies that are marching on Jerusalem. And then he will arm the, the, uh, and direct Israel to go out and wage war against the enemies of God who are left in the promised land. And then they go further. They go, they go up into Assyria and, and take out their enemies. This battle seems to, seems to be described here in Micah, what, what we're just talking about. Uh, if Israel will fight... The Lord will give them the victory. It's like when Joshua is going into the promised land. As long as they did what God said, they got the victory. But then they decided to go into Ai. <laughs> and it didn't go well. And some fool decided to steal some Babylonian garments and take it home and hide it in his tent. And so if you're not going to do things God's way, it's not going to go well. If you're, going to, if you're going to fight the battles God's way, God's going to give you the victory. But, but, but there's mutual responsibility. We, do it, we, we have to do the fighting, and we have to do it in accord with God's word. Now, for us, the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We, again, we don't line up outside the mosque with rifles and wait for the Muslims to come out and shoot them. <laughs> That's not what God told us to do. That's going to get you in trouble with God. That's not going to help you with God. We do go out and we find a Muslim and we say, can I tell you about Jesus Christ? Brother Gross and, and Skyler, and, and I don't know who else was with you, but got to have a good conversation with a Muslim this past Sunday. And um, Brother Quinto got to talk to the Buganda, which was just as hard. <laughs> Amen. All right, verse 31. Where are we at? All right, verse 31. And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And that is the event, that, that is the central event in the seven-year tribulation. you got three and a half years of tribulation. You have all these wars and battles going on. You read in the book of Revelation how God is raining down judgment on the earth all at the same time. The world is a mess during this time period. It is a, it is a complete disaster. God's wrath is against it. The Antichrist is battling and fighting people. And, and uh, Israel is trying, to, trying their best to stay in the promised land and worship according to the law of Moses. And, and a third of the earth dies. A third of the grass dies. A third of the seas and the oceans turn to blood. And I mean, it's just, just constant turmoil and trouble. Then he sets up the abomination of desolation 
then it gets bad. Think about that. The first three and a half years are more trouble than we would ever want to deal with for a second. And it doesn't even compare to the second half. Now, this is the central event. And thank God God put it in so many places because this event locks locks us into our timeline and gives us some idea where each where the events on each side of this event potentially take place. If they happen before the, the, the abomination of desolation, you're in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Good chance. If they happen after, you know you're in the second half of the, of the, of the great tri- tribulation. Very good chance. All right? Th- this is a defining point. It doesn't move. It doesn't change. God is very consistent about this. And so we, we stick with it. And, and use it for what it is. Look at chapter 12, verse 11. Verse 11. And from, that, and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. All right, we'll talk about those days when we get there, but, but there it is again. And then, of course, Matthew 24. Let's just go there real fast. I know we've seen it a hundred times, but 101 will just help seal it in your heart. Verse 15, Jesus Christ talking. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee. Look at verse 21. I think it's verse 21. Yeah, uh, yes, verse 21. Uh, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world. Verse 15 in the events of Matthew 24 is the turning point. It's bad up to verse 15. After verse 15, it's tribulation like you have never seen before in your life. Now we understand this event to be the midpoint of the time of Jacob's trouble. From this event on, there will be three and a half years until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, and he'll put down his enemies. Um, what, now, what's going to take place at this time? Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We, we talk about this abomination of desolation all the time. But what, what exactly is taking place? There's a couple of things. Um, especially related to the words abomination and desolation, you can make a lot of implication from that, but we're going to look at just a couple things real fast. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So everybody understand what's happening when he does this. All right, now it, it, it appears when you connect it with Revelation 13, which we'll go there in a second, uh, look, look, go ahead and get Joel, Joel chapter 3. Um, it appears what, what happens when we already read it in Revelation 13 earlier, but it looks like this, the false prophet brings him back to life. Um, and then they, they make an image of the beast, which is the Antichrist. 
They set that up in the temple. The false prophet is able to make that thing basically come alive. It, it gives it life. And you're required to worship it or you die. That's it. It's bad enough that you, you can't buy or sell if you don't take the mark. But now it's going further. It, we're not, we don't care about the mark. All right. You don't take the mark. You're not going to buy. You're not going to sell. You're not going to trade. You're going to be hungry. You're going to be running. You're going to be starving. Now you better go worship that statue right now. And if you don't, you'll be put to death right now. They're going to have that fiery furnace fired up again right outside. And if you don't do it, in you go. All right. And so, so they, it, it's going to be a nasty time. It's going to be rough. Joel 3 verse 19. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom shall be a, a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood. Now, what, what, what is going to make them a desolation? Um, shedding innocent blood. All right, now come back to Revelation 13 and let's look at that again and, you, and you'll see the connection. Some people have suggested that they're going to be sacrificing people or something to that extent. I, I don't know if I can go that far or, or say that. Um, it, it just depends on how you want to look at them killing people for not worshiping. Now, they're not sacrificing people in the name of worship. They are killing people because you refuse to come and worship the beast. Uh, Revelation 13, verse 15, And he had the power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, God said of those people in Joel 3, your, your land is, is desolate because you killed the innocent. And here we have the abomination of desolation, an image of the Antichrist being set up in the temple as though he is God. You better come worship it or we're going to kill you. And a lot of people are not going to worship. And a lot of them are not going to make it into the wilderness. They're going to die. It's, it's going to be a bloody time. It's going to be a horrible time. All right, back to Daniel 11. All right, let's try to get a little further and then we'll take a break. Daniel 11, verse 32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people who do not know their God excuse me, who do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Now, do you see the contrast there? So you have here a group of people who it, it, it seems like he's probably talking about Jews. We don't know that for sure. But, but let's, for the sake of argument, assume he's talking about Jews. Some of them have set themselves against the covenant. They don't care about it. They're indifferent about it or they hate it. One of the, one of the three. All right. Because of the lack of their relationship with God, with the word of God, they're taken by flattery from, from the, by the Antichrist. They have no foundation. They have no rock of refuge. They have nobody to run to. The only place you could have gone for help, you forsook it. And so the Antichrist comes and says, you know, I really like you people. You know, you, you don't get into that God stuff. Can I do something for you? Sure. What do you want to do? How about a house? How about a house with a bank account and a car and 
And, you know, I just want to take care of you. I, I think you're probably mistreated. The other Jews probably mistreat you and just don't take care of you. I, I'd like to take care of you. And so because they have forsaken their God, they're like, man, this sounds nice. Let's do it. <laughs> but then you have an entirely different group of people who do know their God and are concerned about God and the things of God. And so when the Antichrist comes along and tries to deceive them through flattery, no, keep it. I don't want it. You can offer me whatever you want. I'm not taking it. You can put me to death. You do whatever you want. I'm not taking it. I don't want anything to do with it. And so we're presented with two sides here. On the one side, we have those who are against the covenant made between Israel and the Antichrist. And on the other side, we have people who do, who do know their God and shall be strong. Because of their strength in the Lord, the people who know their God begin to do exploits. So now you have these people who are hunted, who are hated. You have their brethren who are, who are being deceived by flattery and probably being showered with gifts. And the, but those who stuck with God are hated. And so they got to fight. They've got to do exploits. They've got to be courageous. They, they, they've got to be like Joshua <laughs> all over again. And if they don't, they're going to die. They're probably going to die anyways. Many of them do die. Uh, while it seems that the entire world has gone after the Antichrist, there are a group of people who refuse to follow him. And this, this is part of that group. Again, you have this, this group uh, from Shittim who randomly show up and fight. Now you have this group here who, who know God. And it's their connection to God that, that prevent them from following after the Antichrist. It's knowing God. That, that connection, that relationship, it's, it, you can't let it die. You can't let it become stale. You can't become indifferent. You've got to stay close to God because something is going to come that's going to try and say, Yea, hath God said. <laughs> Did he really say that? You know, if you ate from that tree, God knows you'd be like, you'd be as gods. I'll tell you what, I'll give you all the good fruit from that tree you want. <laughs> and if your relationship with God is not there, you're going to say, it looks good. <laughs> Let's try it. I mean, the next thing you know, the entire world is plunged into sin. Thanks a lot. Now, this, this in, in terms of timing, and again, this is a suggestion. This is not definitive. This may be a reference that this group of people could, could be a reference to the two witnesses and the 144,000 witnesses and it, it also, I think you could also possibly expand it because you, you, you got to imagine while all this is happening, the two witnesses who I believe to be Moses and Elijah and the 144,000, they're roaming around preaching. You also have an angel at some point in heaven, uh, at some point during the tribulation, preaching. The Messiah is coming. Don't take the mark. Don't give in to the beast. Jesus is coming. Trust in him. All right, that, that's, that's, they're, they're just preaching this over and over and over. And, and so it seems that it's possible that these people were able to, to, to build up a group of believers who followed them. That, it's going to cost you your life. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment as well. We'll, we'll talk about what's going to happen to people who, who sacrifice their lives on behalf of this. Um, these witnesses develop a following of people across the world uh, and, and they, they begin to, 
trust the preaching of, of these men and they trust that the Messiah is coming. Um, and and there, it's almost like there's two levels to, the, to what you need to believe. Number one, you need to know, you need to believe the Antichrist is not God. He is not the Messiah. I'm not taking his mark. But that's only halfway. Then, then you need to know the Messiah, the real Messiah, is coming. And you need to believe both. Now, if you don't take the mark and you don't follow after the Antichrist and you live to the end, that will get you into the kingdom for a thousand years. It has nothing to do with what's going to happen to, to your soul eternally. Now, if you take it further and you trust that Jesus is the Messiah, he is coming. Then, it's, then, then the indication is you have some sense of eternal security. You, you don't disappear at the end of the thousand years when, when, when the Lord puts us in the new heaven and the new earth. Does that make sense? We don't have time to develop it and go through it all, but, 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 but I, I hope you see what I, what I mean. All right, now this may be a reference to those witnesses. Look at a Reve- Revelation th- uh, 11, sorry. Revelation 11, let's read about them real fast and see what they do. Um, we'll read about the 144,000 a little later. But right now, we're just going to read about the two witnesses. Revelation 11, verses 3 through 6. Verse 3. And I, will give you, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. I mean, that'd be fun. If I could have that ability, I feel like I could really get ahead in life. <laughs> but there's probably a reason God didn't give me that ability. Probably a good reason. And devoureth their enemies, and if any man will hurt them, he must in, in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn, turn them to blood and to smite the earth with the plagues as often as they will. Just whatever they want to do, the Lord says you can do it. Just, just go do it. All right. Now, that, that's the two witnesses. Now, they're going to be moving around preaching. And people are expected to believe, just like today, we're supposed to be moving around preaching, telling people about Jesus, teaching people the Bible, and God expects people to believe it. It was the same thing in the tribulation. Different message, different purpose, different outcome, same idea. All right? So God, God will not fail to have witnesses on the earth. That's, it's going to happen. The Antichrist makes great headway with it in his agenda, but the Lord will have witnesses... Uh, and people on earth who will push against the Antichrist. It's their connection with God that provides them strength. The Antichrist um, is in control of the economy, the religions of the world, etc. And regardless, there are a group of people who refuse to go along with this ungodly agenda. What would you do? What you would do then looks a lot like whatever you do today. It's easy today to live for God, especially in Uganda. It's pretty easy today to live for God in America. Many places around the world, it's easy to live for God. What are people going to do when trouble comes? Are they going to live for God or are they going to give up? 
That's the question. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.